is inspired word written down for us over hundreds of years. This is the greatest gift given to us in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And we look at the Father's eyes only and the second part of our introduction to this awesome section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And I read from the ESV. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your father, that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to all say with me this morning, for the Father's eyes only. Can you all say it together? For the Father's eyes only. Why do we live? SPC, for the? Right, good. Jesus, uh, some of us I noticed weren't here last week, so I'm going to just give a very brief recap to bring us all up to speed about where we are and where we're going. But uh, this is in line. What Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, comes off the back of one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And it says, Jesus says to his disciples, to every Christian, he says this. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Isn't that a profound statement to make? Is it not? Anybody find that as, as something to chew on? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is Jesus saying here? We are saying that that, that meaning of the word perfect means maturity. I use it as wine or cheese. You know, you mature it as it grows, so its flavor becomes more flavorsome. It takes on a body and a certain character. And what Jesus is saying is, Christians, very important, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the thing that Jesus is wanting to do in your life by the power of the Spirit and you coming under His authority is He wants you to look more and more like the one who owns you, your Father in heaven. So when people engage Tracy in her job, more and more, doesn't start off that way, but increasingly her response to renters who are difficult and things that are awkward, conflict situations, teachers here, businessmen, is your default response becomes increasingly opposite to how the world would normally be. And we looked at it in Facing the Giants. We saw how Jesus trains us to respond differently to the world around us because we are owned by somebody different. We have this Father who is in heaven. We have a new home, a new kingdom. We are children of God. And the whole purpose of salvation is not just to get you into the kingdom, but get you advancing in the kingdom so that you start looking like the one who rescued you. Not so. And so suddenly you start finding yourself, if you're really wanting to go after the one thing that is most important in your life, which is to be pleasing to the Lord, your desire is to be so in tune, so pleasing in the way that you live out your life. It's called hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So that in the Father's eyes alone, that's all that you're interested in. You are just interested in His well done. And so you start responding differently. When you naturally get angry, you, you resist that. Lust, you resist that. Marriage vows you keep. All these things we looked at. 
our obedience to Jesus starts making us look different. Now, why is that? Do you know that as Christ followers, God is wanting to make you the reality of his presence in the world? We call that salt and light. Right from the very beginning, before the fall came, we had one purpose, and that was to reflect the image of God. Not so. And so that's why, notice here, there's no, there's no idols in this building. There's no statues. And I, I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody, any other religion or that do that, but I'm saying the reason why we don't have any idols and was the problem of the, of the church is they were actually called atheists. Early Christians were called atheists. Do you know why? Because when pagans came into their, uh, not yet believers, came into their assemblies, they couldn't see any pictures of their God. Why is that? Because Christians understood they themselves were the picture of God in the world. Isn't that incredible? That when the world gazes at SBC, they see a people on a journey of being transformed into the image of God. So that when they look at the church, it's not the building or the cross or the steeple or the signage or the lovely production elements that the world starts to say, well, God exists, He's real. No, no, when they look at God's people, suddenly they start seeing that this God's alive. Because what could possibly explain the change in the believer's life from what they once were to what they are now becoming? Isn't it incredible? And so today, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, your changed life, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ah, but Jesus says, and this is where we get to today's text. He says, ah, oh, there are two motivations to do what's right in this life. We must be very careful. Notice what Jesus says. He says, beware, Christians. Christians, beware. There is a danger you and I can fall into that we must be very careful about. Is that there are two ways to be motivated to do what is right. That practicing righteousness. That's what Jesus is saying. Beware of practicing your righteousness. You know that you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons? And the game changer, if you are going to experience God and this kingdom and all of the glory of your salvation that God is offering to you in Christ, it depends what is going to motivate you in the way that you live. You see, the first is Jesus said, the first way of being motivated to do what is right, and it's right, it's righteousness. Oh, it says to be seen and praised by others. Or it's to be seen and praised by our Father in heaven. And the one we choose, we said last week, has massive consequences in our lives. If we are going to be motivated by the approval of those around us, it leads to one thing, Jesus says, it's hypocrisy. And the reason for that is because the audience is always changing, not so. So in one way, we behave one way because the audience, or the absence of the audience, is that you cannot build your life with integrity around following Jesus if we are going to be made, motivated to do the stuff that he wants us to do for the eyes of others. And he says, if that is all we are motivated by, then we get our reward in full. And that's, everybody says, oh, you're such a wonderful person. And if that's what you're looking for, that's how far it goes. But the second is this, is if we live for the Father's eyes only, does that audience ever change? It's the same all the time. 
when you're at work, when you're with your kids, when you're, whatever the context, when you're living for the Father's eyes only, there's one audience and those eyes see everything not so. He sees our thoughts, he sees our hearts, he sees every aspect of our lives. And what begins to happen is this, is you go way further than anybody motivated by what everybody else says about you. When you start living for the approval of God, man, your righteousness and your integrity and the transformation in your life is so much deeper than just outward appearances. Amen? As your life begins to take on the character of Christ, who was after one thing, was the well done of the Father. And so... In saying all this, last week we said, you have to hear me on this, guys. It is the most important thing. We looked at the fact that only a follower of Jesus, a Christian, can call God Father. And we looked at how Jesus applied that term so sensitively. And we looked yesterday, last Sunday, it felt like yesterday, (laughs) looked at last Sunday, at the gospel, the good news. Do you know what salvation is? It is a change of fathers. We were born into this kingdom of darkness with this father called Satan. That's what Jesus says. And that's why sin felt so home to us. We love doing what our father did because that was home. Oh, but when Jesus steps into our life, when Jesus confronts us with our sin and salvation and this mercy and grace of God offered out in him and the cross, oh, suddenly, once we put our faith in Christ, something momentous happens. You get transferred from that old father's home, you die and you get transferred into another. And suddenly for the Christian, you start desiring. What feels at home is what's pleasing to the father. Amen. And that's why a Christian lives with a guilty conscience. One of the hardest things to do is to live for this father with a guilty conscience. Because what is home to us is what is pleasing to the father. Ah. And this word father I want to look at today. It sets the whole atmosphere of our faith. You know what Jesus could have said? is He said, be perfect as God in heaven is perfect. It could be so distant. It could be so cold. He could have said, be perfect as your Lord in heaven is perfect. It could be so demanding, right? So dreadful. This master that kind of demands the sort of slavery from us in doing good. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you call God Father. And at the heart of our salvation, what it means to be a Christian is to be in relationship with our Father in heaven. You see, when I say Father, it is a warm, close, intimate space where a child gets to experience the affection the approval, the covering, the protection, the provision of a Father in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? And can I say to you this morning, it is the most important relationship in your life. And what we see is that this relationship is all-encompassing. Can I just read to you how the psalmist describes what it means to have God as Father? In other words, we share every single aspect of our life with him. It's Psalm 139, and you probably know it well from verse 1. Can I explain to you what experience is to be a Christian? Listen to this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. 
and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Is that incredible? This Father shares every aspect of your life. Jesus puts it like that, for the Father who sees in secret. And we don't always experience the tangible presence of God, right, as Christians? That's for heaven. We do have wonderful taste here. But we are to live, SPC, we are to live with the knowledge of the reality of God's presence in every single aspect of your life. That's what Jesus is saying in living for the Father's eyes only. Amen? And so, can I say to you this morning, to be called a Christian is to be called beloved in the Father. When God sees you as a child of God, He calls you beloved. Jude chapter 1 says, To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, your identity, your privilege, your position before this Father is one who is called loved. And you know what? This, uh, this love is. It's something that we are told to keep ourselves. In other words, what we're going to look at in just a moment is we are so quick to doubt it. We are so quick to deny it and we are so quick to forget it. Not so? And Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. That's amazing. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This love, my friend, is utterly secure. If you want proof of that is John 6, 39. The NIV says, and this is the will of him who sent me, the will of the Father. This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus said, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Is you are being kept by Jesus Christ in the love of the Father. Now that just explodes my heart. That just makes me go, that's incredible. That's incredible that this God wants to have a relationship with me. He's probably only going to live a few, uh, oh, who knows, my family history is quite bad. I might be 60, 65, 70. This God wants to know me. He knows me and he wants me to know him. Relationship. And we're going to look at unpacking this next year of prayer and fasting and living with our stuff in a way that God is our Father. It's the most powerful thing that motivates us, this relation of drawing close and knowing this God as Father. Ah, but there's a second thing it means, and it's important this morning, is that it not only means relationship, it means authority, not so. Calling God Father also means He has authority over our lives. Can I just maybe throw in an aside here? Parents, we are under a lot of pressure to be our children's buddies, not so? We are under a lot of pressure to kind of be equals and persuade them through 
an equal sort of wisdom with them. But I want to say to you this morning, you can have a close relationship with your child, but never at the cost of your authority over their lives. Shepherding is intimate, but shepherding means they don't know where they need to go. <laughs> you have to tell them, right? And this morning, may I point out to you, this Father in heaven, he has a will of his own. Notice what the Son of God says. Can we say the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your on earth as it is in heaven. We are aligning ourselves. Notice what the Son of God himself says in John chapter 4, verse 34. The more I meditate on this, the more it blows my mind. It says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, that's the Father, and to accomplish his work. Is that what motivates you in your life? As a child of God, the call on your life is to follow your Father wherever he leads. And Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 5, verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Remember when Jesus was grappling over the cross and he was sweating blood, what did he pray to his Father? He says, not my will, but yours be done. One of the hardest things for the Christian is being faced with a desperate desire to go in a different direction or have a different outcome. And God says, you stay where you are. Notice Abraham. Abraham got this beautiful baby boy. So anybody here who's desperate for kids, who struggled to fall pregnant or has children of their own. And here he gets this promise. And Isaac is this, he's even called laughter. He brings this joy into his father's heart, Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, sacrifice your son. And notice it comes at the end of Abraham's life. Abraham has learned to flow with the will of his father in heaven. And what he does is early the next morning, he packs up wood and he takes his boy. He says, come, we're going to go climb that mountain. We're going to give God a sacrifice. He offers up his own son. Now God spares Isaac, but God wanted to see like Jesus. Whose will are you going to flow with? And so, my friends, this morning, this Father has authority over our lives. And being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is learning His ways, is learning how He loves to work through you and in you with the people around you. It's learning what your Father in heaven is like and becoming like Him also. But can I just say, and I, I feel like, I'll be as honest as this. I owe you a bit of an apology last week. I was a bit clumsy in the way I handled this point. I meant to talk about what it means for some of us here to call God Father. For some of us, that is incredibly painful. And last week I said, you know, for a person who can't call God Father in prayer, often you can hear their place with the Lord when there's an absence of being able to say Father. And what I was meaning is this. Often it's a sign of the state of the relationship of that person to God. And when you hear a Christian prayer and say, Father, it is a breakthrough in their lives. It's an ability to come into a place 
where it is an understanding of our connection to this God in heaven more than a servant or a child. And I felt, um, and as someone pointed out to me last week, I didn't get to this part, but for some of us, we're saved, we're born again, but the struggle for us is to know God and to call him as Father. We get Jesus. We might even get the Holy Spirit in some strange and abstract way. But when we say, Father, it hurts. And I can I say to you this morning, no matter how perfect your earthly dad or mom tried to be, they fell far short of the love of the Father and being a reflection of it. I know as a parent, and my child is only, my oldest is going to be three in January. There are moments where I have to lean into the grace of God because when I look at my behavior, I wince. And I've realized that in my own life and in yours, this term father comes with baggage. And do you notice in Luke chapter 1 verse 17, I sat meditating on this. As I was putting the sermon together, the words came through from 1 John, I mean, Luke chapter 1 verse 17, when it talks about John the Baptist coming to prepare people for the Lord. Do you know what the first thing God says John the Baptist is going to do in preparing the people for the coming of Christ, his Messiah? He says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now, if you had to ask me, what was important, I wouldn't have started there. And so what do we need to be prepared to meet Christ in our lives? What do these people need for the coming of the Messiah? I wouldn't have started with turning of the hearts to the father, fathers of the hearts to their children. He goes on to say, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord are people prepared. I would have put that second part first, the disobedience, showing them the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people of the Lord. Why was it so important that John the Baptist, his ministry would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children in Israel. I'll put it to you like this. Is our readiness to relate to God as Father is affected by how broken our relationships with our earthly fathers have been. Here is Jesus. He's coming to Israel, and who's he going to reveal? He says, I have come to reveal the Father. If any man has seen me, they have seen the Father. He's going to talk about this God as Father. He's going to talk about this God of love that's come to bring the Lamb, to take away the sins of the world. And if he's talking to a whole nation who has broken relationships, can I point out 2,000 years ago, the relationships in Israel between the fathers and their children was broken. It has been from the beginning of time since the sin sin came into the world. Jesus is talking about the Father. And if there was no restoration between the Father and the sons and their relationships, what kind of picture when Jesus said, Father, would the people of Israel have seen? Fathers, can I just commission you this morning? You will not be perfect in your fathering, but we must aim to lean in heavily to the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to love our children the same way we experience the love of the Father. Why is that? is because their very readiness, and moms, you play a part in this too, their very readiness of our children to understand God as Father, we give them a head start. 
when we portray aspects, however imperfect, of the love of the Father. That when you, when I as a preacher, or as a Sunday school teacher, or as moms and dads started to talk about the Father, they get an immediate sense, that's what my dad is like. He loved me. He cuddled me. He kissed me. He told me how wonderful I was. He told me how much I had a hope and a future. He, had, he gave me safety. He gave me a home. He provided for me. These basic things are the Father heart of God being demonstrated through our earthly fathers. And can I say this morning, some of you have said, well, my time's up. I've already lost it. My opportunity to love my kids have left the home. They've despised me. They've rejected me. I came to faith too late. There are so many aspects of regret around fathering and mothering. <laughs> don't you think it's wonderful? Our God in heaven is called the Father to the fatherless. That in our salvation, it's my story and yours he redeems even the brokenness of the image of God. And it takes some time. It takes some time because he's damaged. But healing comes. Healing comes through the gospel. Healing comes through fathers, even now going to their children and saying, I'm so sorry, I missed it, I got it wrong. Would you please forgive me? Even now there is hope, even in the gospel, in our own lives and for our children, to, to turn them to this redemption in Jesus Christ. Being able to call God Father in our own lives, and helping our children to do the same. So let me quickly do an exercise with you. Now don't fall asleep. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, all right? Everyone close your eyes. I want you, I want to ask you the question, what do you feel? What do you feel? And I'll ask you now to think about God's eyes on you. Right now, if you'd imagine the gaze of the Father on your life, how do you feel about that? His eyes seeing every aspect of your life. What comes up inside your heart? I'll give you a moment. You can open your eyes. I want to unpack quickly what it can feel like to try and relate to the Father where there's this brokenness. And some of us, I'm going to go through this list and you can identify. So that was my, what my dad was like, right? And it's not perfect, but I'm just going to unpack because of time's sake. Some of us had absent fathers, not so? Emotionally and physically, they were not there, or even there was a bereavement. And from a young age, or for whatever the family circumstances, there was no dad present. Can I say, if that was your story, your most likely experience of God as Father will be distant and disconnected. When I asked you to close your eyes, I'm hoping by the Spirit he, he prompted something. You didn't feel, there was no sense of closeness. There was kind of this abstract feeling. And for a person who has an absent father, who had an absent father, there's a deep sense of unworthiness and little value. You say, why should God really be interested in me personally? I've got no real value to him because my father didn't have any value for me. Secondly, some of us had aggressive, even abusive fathers here. They smacked very quickly, or they were very harsh in the way they brought you up. And this is what evokes in you. The thought of getting close to God as Father, it's terrifying. Your, your, your feeling of when saying the Father's eyes are on your life, the feeling that comes up in you is one of fear. The third is this. Some of us had fathers who were always critical. They're never good enough. All about performance. 
And your, your feeling when you think about God, this was, this was part of my journey, although I had a fantastic father and a fantastic mother, was when I thought about God looking at my life, all I felt was expectation. All I felt was pressure and anxiety. I did not feel that this God who was my father was looking at me with love. He was waiting for me to fail or to correct. That was my primary view of my father in heaven. So God is a taskmaster that must be satisfied in order for me to be accepted. And some had fathers here who were addicts, addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, addicted to some aspects of substance abuse. And they, what your big struggle is, is mistrust. You say, my father was all over the place. He said one thing, did another. He stole from us. He was there. He wasn't. He was never consistent. He was up and down. There was tumultuous aspects in my home. Oh, and so when you think about your father in heaven, the thing is, is he really trustworthy? And the last is this. It's the most difficult of all. Some had fathers who were always affirming. We were a bit spoilt or indulged. <laughs> when I say, what do you picture with the father's eyes on your life? Yours is like, I'm not really too concerned about that. I'm not too fussed about that. Because the fundamental premise, and it's the hardest one to see. I'm not saying it's the most damaging, but perhaps it's the hardest one to deal with. Because our philosophy, our feeling towards this father in heaven is this. God wants me to be happy. And whatever makes me happy, he's fine. The feeling you feel if you have an indulged father, even mother, in your life is a sense of entitlement. And I would say this morning, it is the one that is the most or increasingly prevalent in our day and age because of pressure on parents and because of faulty preaching. There is this, this aspect of our understanding of the father as whatever makes me happy. He's fine with. He affirms everything I do. I don't know if that makes sense to some of you this morning. Of where your starting point of working through this thing of calling Father is so important. Why do I spend time on this? It's because when I say we live for the Father's eyes only, that has to be the safest place in your life. And the way it becomes safe is you growing, not only in your belief, but in your experience of the love of the Father for you. I'll ask you a simple question this morning. Do you believe the Father loves you unconditionally? You see, there's a way that we can believe that here, but not believe it here or here. And there's some signs that you can start to see. If you really believe the love of God, it changes the way you, you live. But if you start to doubt the love of God, I'll give you some warning signs this morning where there needs to be a bit more of a, a, an experience and a wrapping of our hearts around the love of God. It is firstly, if you are super suspicious, your first thing that you heard of when I said, God loves you unconditionally. You're going, mm -hmm, that's, not, that's too good to be true. Everything has a price. Nothing comes for free. My father expected this and this and this. So my father in heaven expects this and this. When I say, Matt says, I'm totally loved unconditionally by the father. And you go, oh, I don't quite believe that. My friend, you're doubting the love of God. There's a space in your life to start to wrap your heart around Romans 8.39 and John 6.39, where you need to be able to fully be convinced 
that the Father loves me. I'm, not, I'm taking too much time. The second is if we try to perform. It's our way, consciously or unconsciously, of trying to get His approval by our good works. And you know the sign of when this happens in your life? Some of you here have had this view of God. The only time you see whether you doubt the love of God is when you get something wrong. And suddenly, you just can't feel good in the presence of God. Why? Because your performance hasn't matched what is required of you. And you cannot get yourself, if you know that you've done something wrong, it is so hard for you to be able to approach the Father in His presence because you have the sense of going, He cannot receive me because I haven't been good enough. And so, what happens is our confidence is not in the throne of grace that He sits on. Approach His throne of grace with confidence, the Scripture says. No, no, it comes down to our performance. And there's another way it flows, is if you can never feel forgiven. When you sin and you ask for forgiveness from the Father... And you look to the blood of Jesus. You never have the sense of actually being released. You always have the sense of regret. You always have the sense of niggling. When you come to the Father, you almost feel like there's always something on the table. It's never off. My friend, if that is your experience of the Father, you have not yet come to the fullness of His love and believing in it. We play these mind games, these heart games of shifting pieces, shifting confidences, when the person who understands the love of God knows its radical nature of being able to approach the Father through Jesus, His Son. There's one more. By deliberate disobedience. When we deliberately disobey God, we cut off the channels of communication whereby we feel His love. Nobody here can be playing with sin and tell me they experience the love of the Father. It's impossible. I'm not saying your position has changed, but your experience of being able to flow and believe and experience the love of God, it is damaged when we hold on to unrepentant sin. 1 John 1 verse 67 speaks into that. I won't go into all of this now. So then I am coming down to land. Are you all still with me? Well done. You're doing so well this morning. I'm so proud of you. Last major point. I'll try to make that one last point. <laughs> Unpacked in a few more points. Why is it so important to keep ourselves in the love of God? That's, God? that's Jude's command. Why is it so important to keep yourself in the love of God? Well, I'm going to summarize it like this with a question. How can we have confidence in God if we are not sure He loves us? How can we have a confidence of putting our faith and trust and yielding our lives to this God if we do not believe He loves us? It's an impossibility. Faith rests on the foundation of His love for us. And the degree to which we give ourselves to God is determined by how much we believe He loves it. Do you understand that? Loves us? Do you understand that this morning? How far you're willing to go in your life is determined and be obedient to it is determined by how much you are able to trust Him. And so in Jesus, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. He says, don't doubt it, SBC. Don't grow cold to it. Don't forget it. You keep yourself in it because the more you keep yourself in the love of God, the more your faith pumps in Him, your trust pumps in Him, the more the platform of your faith in the God that you serve is sound. And the most effective thing Satan can do is to get you to doubt the, love, the Father's love for you. That's why the evidence of the father and son and daughter relationships in the world today are so broken. 
Satan attacks this relationship. Whenever we are under trial or under pressure or failure, he breathes down our neck and it comes down to one area only. It is this, to get us to doubt God's love for us. I'll explain it like this. In difficulty, when we face difficulty, Satan tells us God won't come through for you. When we're feeling distant from God, Satan tells us God has abandoned you. After disobedience, God, Satan says God won't receive you. When you're in distress, Satan says God doesn't care about you. When there's delay, Satan says God has forgotten you. In disappointment, Satan says God is cruel towards you. When you're under his discipline, Satan says God has rejected you. My friend, Satan will attack your feeling of love, being loved in the Father, your confidence in it from every single angle of life. Some of us here are in the land between of unanswered prayer. And you're disappointed with the outcome thus far of how God has responded to your cries for help. Can I say to you this morning, if you want to become a man or woman of faith that bears up like Jesus did in these massive moments in his life, the thing that's going to help you do it is to keep yourself in the love of God, to keep yourself experiencing and thinking about and moving towards the truth that your Father is not going to drop you, your Father's not going to leave you, your Father's not going to be cruel to you, your Father's going to see you through. And the more you meditate on the love of God, the more confidence you have to face whatever this world has because you know as you are bringing your obedience to Him, He's going to shower out His promise of faithfulness to you. I tell you this, this is my experience. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you this morning. I know a lot. I was trained a lot in God's word. But the only time I really began to live it out and to see its value was when in trial I had to ask myself, how real is this love of the Father for me? How real am I leaning into this space? In a very, very dark moment of my life, the question God asked me was this. is Matthew, do you believe I'm cruel towards you? And I text him and say, no, Father, you've been so good to me. And can I point out to you today, Jesus, Jesus needed the sense of the love of God on his life. There were only two times when the Father publicly announced to the world and what Jesus could hear audibly spoken. There were two times. One was at his baptism in, in, in Mark chapter 1. I encourage you to meditate on this. Sorry, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Here is Jesus. He's coming, and he's going to start his public ministry. And what does the Father say to Jesus before it starts? When he comes up out of that water, the dove comes down to him, and the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you know that was what Jesus needed to survive his ministry? What happened straight after the moment that he got this audible sense of the love of the Father in his life, of this approval of this God of heaven, he went into the wilderness for 40 days. There he was, totally without food. He was with the wild animals. He was in the darkest night of the soul. And the first thing Satan came to tempt him with was, if you are the Son of God, he attacks the relationship of Jesus with his father. My friend, what saw Jesus through his ministry was not just the power of the Holy Spirit, but knowing where his approval came from and his security, it was the love of the father.
What was the second moment? Was when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Father said to the three disciples that were there, This is my Son, my beloved Son. And listen to him. What was the very next thing Jesus had to face? The cross. He had to come down. And there was, he said he had to set his face to Jerusalem. He had just said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. You're not focused on the things of God. He knew that as he set his mind to the cross, it was going to be the most difficult task of his life yet. And what did he need to hear? Some nice sermon? Did he have to read some nice Bible scripture? No, no. He needed the sense of the love of the Father going, I'm with you. You're in my world. You're doing well. Go for it. You're about to lose all the crowds that clap for you. You're about to lose all the acclamation, all the respect, all the praise of Israel. You're about to lose it all. You're about to be betrayed by one of your best friends. You're about to lose all of your friends. You're about to sweat blood. What did Christ see in that moment of trial? My friend, he needed the sense of the love of the Father on his life. Amen? He needed a sense of being owned and kept and led and satisfied with this God of heaven. I tell you, the reason why we love the applause of men is because our hearts are so dry in its experience of the love of the Father. You see, we all want approval. My friend, it's the biggest struggle of my life. I want to be approved by people around me. Oh, but when I started finding this God, this God I call Father, something satisfied in me and it keeps me. It keeps me. It keeps me coming back to the one who I know the Father's eyes are on my life. And it's His will done. And it's His love for me that establishes me in my whole purpose and life of pleasing Him. John Piper put it like this. He said, we glorify God when we are most satisfied in Him. Some of us struggle here. To live a life of consistency for God. Can I say why this morning? It's my struggle too. Because we don't keep coming to the source of where we need to be satisfied. You hear me? It's okay. Is what keeps you in your life is where you find your source of love. And it's to be the Father. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, 5 says, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My friend, you are to ask for an experience of it. Notice it says it's poured out into our hearts, not our minds. This thing of the love of God, the baptism of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, it is to experience the heart and depth and breadth of the love of God here, not just here. And we are to seek it. We are to seek it. Don't settle for theory. Don't settle for a nice sermon. Leave here today and go on your knees before God and say, I need a fresh outpouring of the love of God by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for you who want it this morning. Meditating on Scripture. Friends, this is where we come. We renew our minds because we're going to need it for the, for the next step. But there are many, I was looking online, you can find Bible readings on the love of God by the dozen. Do it. Spend 40 days However many days of reading is meditating, praying, talking to yourself about the love of God. Because the third is this. We have to preach it to ourselves. This is what my pastor in PE always taught me. He says, Matthew, you have to preach the knowledge you know until you experience it in your emotions. You talk to yourself. You tell yourself, no, no, no. I'm not listening to that wicked Satan. I'm not listening to that person. No, no. I, I'm coming to the one whom I know loves me. And the fourth is this. Maintaining regular time of prayer. Friends, Jude 20 to 21 is so true. He says, but you... But you, beloved, but you, SBC, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. 
the thing that helps you to remind yourself that you're loved by the Father. It happened to me this morning. I got up this morning. I was feeling so cold. And I came to God and I said, God, I thank you. You love me. Thankful by the grace of God, you're receiving me right now. By, by the blood of Jesus. The second, I started coming alive to God. Oh, the last is this. Is being a part of a Christian community. SBC, we are to be a tangible experience to those around us of the love of God. In crisis, I've listened to Pierre mention testimonies of guys that have had meals dropped off, people just loving on them, and what they find is this. So I just felt so loved. Felt so loved by God. How much do you want this experience of the love of God? And to live it. I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning, and I'm going to be standing to you, I'm going to invite you to stand. Those of the rest of you, close your eyes. If you want a fresh outpouring of the love of God, and want to live from this place that Jesus did, I want to pray for you this morning. Just stand where you are. I'm standing with you. And just as a symbol of what's in your heart, just put your hands out in this open position, just as a, as a sense of responsiveness to God. Father, you have not left us as orphans, but Lord, you said you'll bring the helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and show us and help us experience what it means to be children of God, to call you Father. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for an outpouring of the Spirit, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place, upon the hearts and minds of those who are here saying, Jesus, I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I want to know in my experience, in my heart, how high and how wide and how deep the love of God is. I'm longing for it. I'm hungering for it. I need to know it, Lord. I'm so dry. I need to experience what it means to be loved by the Father in my heart, not just my mind. Lord, would you pour it out this morning? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come pour out like waves. I pray for the broken this morning. Lord, you have had broken fathers, broken mothers, broken relationships, Lord, and they are struggling to call you Father. Spirit, would you move into those spaces right now? Would you pour out the Spirit, Lord, on that area of brokenness, and would you bring healing, Lord? Lord, one of the privileges of being a follower of Christ is to be filled, filled with the love of God. Lord, I pray that they would know each person here what it means to be called a child and to call you Father by the power of the Spirit. We come against any doubt this morning, Lord, any areas of doubt and unbelief. Lord, I pray this morning, would you pour out the Spirit into those areas and flood them with the knowledge of the love of God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray by your Spirit. Minister here right now. Come in this place. Come in this place. Lord, I pray that you would grow our hunger for you. And to stay close to you, we ask. Father, I pray that we would be a people here this morning that would long to live for the Father's eyes only. Like Jesus, Lord, he would say, my food, the thing that sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me. Would you do that, Lord, 
We ask this in your precious name. Amen.